Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, our mandate is in John, the Gospel of St. John, the 14th chapter. And we are going to read the 27th verse. Today, I want to speak about the way of peace. I've taught a sermon prior called the God of Peace. All right. Today I want to preach about the way of peace. You're going to love this. Jesus says in John, the 14th chapter, the 27th verse, he says, peace I leave with you, comma, my peace I give to you, not as the world giveth. He says, not as the world giveth. He says, give I unto you. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace I give to you. Jesus said, I'm giving you peace. One of the things Jesus came to give us was peace. Was peace. Jesus came to give us peace. Somebody shout hallelujah. To the end, that your heart be not troubled, nor let it be afraid. That your heart will never live in trouble or that you'll never live a life of any form of fear. Any form. Any form. Doesn't matter what is ahead of you. But you see, why I need to teach about the way of peace is the emphasis there that the peace I'm giving you is not the peace the world gives you. Not as the world giveth. Somebody shout amen. amen. That means there is a peace that the world gives. There is a definition of peace. And that's what the world gives us. There's a definition of peace that the world has. And Jesus says, what I've come to give you is not what the world defines as peace. That means Jesus has another definition of what? Of peace contrary to the world. And here is the sad thought that many Christians across the world define peace from the perspective of the world. The way they see the world define peace is the way they think that divine peace, you know, aligns. They think that the way the world defines peace is the way God defines peace. God has a different definition of peace. Jesus did not give the church the peace the world gives. Jesus gave the church his own peace. Now that is deep. He says, peace I live with you. And he says, my peace I give to you. My peace, my peace. But what I carry as peace is what I'm giving you. Or 
rather, what was in me for peace in the flesh is the same thing that I'm transferring to your spirit. And he's saying that what was in me for peace is not how the world defines it. You have a wrong understanding of how peace should be defined. So today, I want to take you through a journey, beautiful journey, of understanding and exploring what is the peace that God gives? What is the peace that Jesus left you? What is the difference between that peace and the peace the world gives? Because if you don't live that way, your heart will live troubled and you will always live in fear. You'll always live a fearful life. I'm scared to die. I'm scared to leave my family. I'm scared to lose my job. I'm scared to fail. I'm scared that this will happen. Even that which is not evidently going to happen by the circumstances and evidence surrounding this man, she still assumes that it's going to happen. Some people even imagine things that are not yet even in existence and they live a life of fear. Job, the scripture tells us, he says that the thing that I have feared most, the thing that I greatly feared, he says, is come upon me. It's come upon me. And he says, that which I was afraid of is come unto me. He says, because of that fear, I was not in safety. Neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, and trouble came. Job always used to wake up and look at his children, and his heart would grip with fear and say, what if they died? And do you see that that's exactly what Satan went for? That's what Satan went for. So many people don't know that actually Job opened the door. He says, the thing that I greatly feared, we just discovered a righteous man that God esteemed had fears. He had fears. And his fear was that one day his children would die and they died. He looked at his animals and he would imagine, what if all of this left me one day? And it happened. He looked at his body sometimes and says, I imagine my handsome face getting boils. And then it hits him. The thing he feared most came upon him. When Satan wants to try you, he can only try you and will always try you against your fears. If you fear to die, he will try you with sickness. If you fear to be poor, he will attack your finances. Where your fear is, is where he wants to work because he works with fear. He works with fear. You see what I'm saying? Now, that means many of the things that sometimes befall us were already premeditated. They already came in some form. Somebody gets a sickness, COVID, and they already see their casket. They see their family crying around them. They see their children not growing up with their father. But they just got COVID. How can you say just? Yes, it's just COVID. Oh, you're taking it lightly. What am I supposed to take it like? Do you know COVID has not killed 
everyone it touched. You understand? Many people have suffered it and they've not died from it. Few people have died from it than those that have carried it. Isn't it? You understand what I'm saying? What is disease? To a believer, what is disease? What is disease to a person who knows that Jesus was wounded for his transgressions, bruised for his iniquities, and the chastisement of his peace was upon him, and by his stripes that believer was healed? What is disease to us? You see what I'm saying? So we're not afraid of disease. Tell your neighbor we're not afraid. We're not afraid. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Glory to God. So back to what I'm trying to express tonight. So Jesus says, there is a way that I give peace. There is my understanding and definition of peace. And that is what I want to leave you. That is what I want to give you. Let me explain the peace of the world first. When you say, what is peace to a person in the world? They'll say, peace is the absence of war. Peace is the absence of trouble, they say. Peace is the absence of anxiety. Peace is the absence of turmoil. When everything is moving in tranquility, in order of its state as it should, that is peace, they say. When somebody can sit in their house and look at the birds and they're not sick and nothing is wrong with them and they breathe in the oxygen of Uganda, they say, this place is peaceful. Full. It's full of peace. That's how the world defines peace. And many Christians think that that is how Jesus defines peace. Let me tell you something about Christianity. The faith you believed. We don't look at peace as the absence of war in the faith. Learn that. We don't define peace like the world defines it. That's how the world sees it. And so, if war comes, they don't have what? Peace. When trouble comes, they don't have peace. When they're organized with a certain disease, they don't have what? Peace. When they're in trouble in their marriage, they don't have peace. When their business is shaken, they don't have peace. Many Christians live like that. And then they stay awake at three, thinking. Why? They're troubled in their soul. Their heart is troubled. Remember, he says, let not your heart be troubled. See, there's something with a troubled heart. You're sinking with a thought of something you're going through. A test. Maybe you have a health issue. Doctor gave you a report, a bad report. Then you wake up at three and look at your children. Imagine your son, you imagine everything and you say, oh, this is my end. You see? So if you are healed, for example, from that disease, then you'd say, I have peace. So in the world, peace for them is defined by circumstantial evidence. And God is telling us as Christians, that is a very dangerous place to live. Because that's not how God defines peace. That's not how God defines peace. Let me make a sentence first. And then I'll explain it a bit deeper as I continue to define for you the peace God gives. Number one, no man can really understand the way of peace when they have not understood 
the power of the righteousness that has been imputed on us through faith. That's a very deep statement. Many believers are not able to understand what I just said. To understand the way of peace is to understand the power behind the righteousness that was imputed unto you through faith. So of course, the carnal believer would say, what has that got to do with the peace? Well, it has everything to do with the peace because it's the beginning. When Paul is walking the journey of understanding the free gift of righteousness in the third chapter of the book of Romans, the 10th verse, he says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not one, as it is written. When he says, as it is written, where is it written? He is quoting Isaiah 59. Paul is quoting Isaiah. And when Isaiah spoke it, there was sort of an ambiguity. It was not clear in the expressions that we read in Isaiah. But when Paul sees this gift of righteousness, and then he relates it to what Isaiah was saying, he now can make sense of what Isaiah said. Okay, probably let's go to Isaiah 59 and then come back to Romans. Probably you'll appreciate it. In Isaiah 59, the first verse, he says, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. God is not short of helping you. And he's saying, it's not that my ear is heavy that I cannot hear. That means he can save you to the uttermost and he hears you when you pray. But he says, but your iniquities, your sin has separated you and your God. Verses two, he says, and your sins have hid his face from you that you will not hear. So he's saying the reason in the Old Testament why they spoke to God and he could not hear them, the reason why it looked like his hand was shortened toward their need was because they were living a sinful life. Iniquity separated them from their God and their sins he hid his face from. He was heartbroken because of their sin and then he distanced himself from them. Then he continues to say in verses 3, For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs death, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Their webs they shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are of iniquity. The act of violence is in their hands. They fit run to evil. They do a lot. They shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction in their parts. Verses 8, the way of peace they know not. What does that got to do? He says the way of peace they know not. They don't understand the way of peace because they live a life of sin and destruction. And they live that life because they are of the fallen nature. You see? So that's what Paul sees and says, no wonder Isaiah says, it is written that there is none righteous, not one. So in the iniquity that he sees with them, the destruction, the perversion, 
that he sees, the evil actions that he sees with them, Paul concludes all of that in the statement of unrighteousness. You see? He brings the conversation of righteousness. And he says that there is none righteous, not one. Is none righteous. So, why? Because they do unrighteous acts. Follow me. This is for people who can sit and listen to a teacher. You know, follow me. Now, the Bible says in verses 11, Romans 3 again, there is none that understandeth, and there is none that seeketh God. You see, where did it begin from? It began from an unrighteous man, and because he does not live in the righteousness of God, the next verse says that man does not walk in understanding. You see? So one precedes the other. And the Bible says, there is none that seeketh God. That means when a man is not walking in the righteousness of God, it doesn't matter what act they do, they are not really seeking God. That's why there are people in this world who look like they are praying so much, but they don't have the results of a praying man or a praying woman. I tell people, don't be intimidated because a man spent four days praying. When I was a younger man, I used to go to the prayer mound and pray. You find a person who has spent a whole week praying, and then they come and give you a false prophecy. And you ask yourself, why is this dude starving? He's been four days at the Mount Rabado, Kappa, separating himself, and then he comes. Then he looks at you, you're called Grace, and he says, are you Michael? Is that me? No. The Lord shows me your mic and you're married. No, I'm not married. You see, the guy spent four days on the wall, on the mountain. Listen, I don't get intimidated by people who, no, 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 no. I get intimidated in a good way when I see the results of a man who believes God. Because you see, the Bible didn't tell us to look at how they seed. The Bible told us to judge fruit. You will know them by their word. Yeah. So you see a very wonderful sister. She spends two weeks on a prayer mountain. She didn't want to talk to anybody. You know, there's a lady I know. She was a prayerful woman. She even got to a point where they used to define her as the sister who doesn't iron. She got so disconnected from the world that she could not even iron her clothes. She didn't care. Her man won't love her because she ironed. Her hair is all messed up. I said, hey, you're talking about their sister. Who and iron? Yeah. She puts on clothes as they are. Why? She's going to heaven. Yeah, it's been many years. She's still alive. She's still on earth. You see? And you find that person with a very nasty attitude. Two weeks, two months in the presence of God. And then they come out to annoy them. They jeer. And you're like, what? How could you be in the presence of God and come back so angry? Have you been around people like that? They pray so much, but they're so indifferent. They're wicked. They're envious. You see what I'm saying? So, he's saying that there is none righteous. And there is none righteous because they don't walk in understanding. There is none that seeketh after God. It doesn't mean that they don't have acts or forms of seeking. But not every form of seeking is seeking God. Do you agree? There's a man in a certain religion praying seven or 20 times a day. That didn't mean that he's seeking God. He's seeking another thing. 
but the action is there. Are you getting it? So the Bible says in verses 12, they are all gone out of the way. So the problem is they're not in the path that God has ordained for them. Are you following? They're all gone out of the way. And Paul continues to say, they are together become unprofitable and there is none that doeth good, not one. Their throat is open, is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit and the poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. You see? Ah, their mouth is full of what? Cursing and bitterness. You find a pastor and their church is in a period of fasting. And he's cursing. <laughs> he's cursing on the altar. And he's bitter. You get it? Verses 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Verses 16, destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace, again he says, they have not known. They don't know the way of peace. And because they don't know the way of peace, all of this is happening in their lives. The Bible has said destruction is in their way. That's a strong one. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Because there is none righteous. Now let's go back to the sentence I made. You cannot walk in the peace Jesus gave you if you have not understood the righteousness that has been given to us through faith. The New Testament, when you became born again, why Jesus came? He saw you in your sinful nature and he knew that unless something is done, you will never live a righteous life. And when he came, he knew that you still carry a fallen body, which is an enmity to God, that you will never be perfect in the flesh. So he came and gave you a better deal and said, what if I got righteousness and gave it to you as a gift because you believe in me? Such that you are not righteous because of your works, but you are righteous because you believe in me. That's what it says in Romans chapter 3. And now the righteousness of God, verses 21, he says now, Say it, say now. He says, now the righteousness of God. Now he's talking about the New Testament. He's not talking about the days of Isaiah. He's talking about the New Testament. He says, now the righteousness of God without the law is made manifest, even the righteousness of God through faith. It is witnessed, he says, by the law and by the prophets. Verses 22, he says, the righteousness of God, which is by faith, of Jesus Christ, he says, and to all and upon all of them that believe. So anybody that believes, the righteousness of God is to you and upon you. Hallelujah. Somebody shout amen. amen. Now understand this, some people think it's just a simple doctrine. But if you have not understood this doctrine, you can never receive the peace Jesus gave you. It doesn't mean you don't have it. No, you have it, but to receive something is different. If I give you a gift of a watch, it's one thing. But for you to receive it is another. If I got you a bag or a shoe, yes, it's a gift I've given you. But to receive it is different. Because receiving it means that you have allowed it to be a part 
of your transactions, of your life. You're going to use it. You're going to enjoy it. Are you following? Now, this is so powerful. This is so powerful. He says, now that righteousness of God is by faith of Jesus Christ and to all and upon all that believe. He says, for there is no difference. All have sinned. There's no difference. You have sinned too. And come short, present continuous, of the glory of God. All have sinned is like past tense. Huh? That's why we're saints. Who has understood it? All have sinned. Because God does not see you as a sinner in the New Testament. He sees you as a saint. Why? Because the righteousness that you have is of faith, not of works, lest you should boast. Are you following? So he says, all have sinned, past tense, comma, and come short of the glory of God. That's a present continuous experience. That we, it's true, that even though God regards us as his righteousness, we come short of his glory. We do things that we are not, that don't match up to his expectations. You see that? We do things that displease him and dishonor him, that break his heart and misrepresent us because we're not supposed to live that way. When you tell a lie as a Christian, you've come short of the glory of God because a Christian is not supposed to be a liar. You see what I'm saying? A Christian is not supposed to be an adulterer. A Christian is not supposed to be a thief. That's not the life of Christianity. We come short of the glory of God. Next line, verses 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So why does Jesus come? To redeem you. Are you hearing me? And in that redemption, his grace justifies you freely. That means the justification or the righteousness of God that you have is not of your works. It's freely given to you by Christ because of his redemption. Somebody say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's one of the strongest statements hell would hear. Because Satan hates it. He hates even a man to know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ and that you understand it. That is why they attack grace ministries so much. Satan hates grace ministers. Why? Because we are pointing to what Jesus did. If you're a teacher of the law, you point to the works of men because you are at their performance and then you judge people because they have done worse than you are able to do. And that's why people under the law always live a life of judging people. That person is this. This person does not match up. This person can't do this. This woman is bad. This person is this. They're not born again. They can't be this. You see, they live lives of pointing fingers on who is wrong, who is right. Why? Because they believe that they are righteous in their own way. They think that they have done better more than anybody else in the world. And that's a very dangerous place to be. A very dangerous place to be. Jesus said, he without sin cast the first stone and everyone walked away. Why? Because there is nothing you and I have done that would not warrant death. Even a single lie would kill. You see? Because the wages of sin is what? Yes. So, because you told a lie and then there's a man who bewitched somebody and that person died, you think that they are more wicked. You say, at least me, I told a lie. But that one killed. And before God, before God, even that lie warrants death. But the Bible says, for he that breaks one breaks all. 
If you lie, you've murdered. See? That man deserves to die. Somebody said. He raped a little girl. How would he? He deserves to die. But the Bible says, when you hate your brother, you murder him. Are you following me? He that hateth his brother is a murderer. And Jesus asks, know ye not that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him? So you are pointing your fingers at the terrorists who blow people up. And then you say, how can somebody be that wicked? How do you walk in people and then just allow a bomb to explode? How do you shoot somebody? How do you bewitch somebody? How do you even just poison them? People are wicked in this world, I tell you. And a few conversations later, you tell her, Jessica, uh-huh, when was the last time you talked to Paul? I hate that guy, don't tell me about him. <laughs> I hate him. People are so wicked. I hate that guy. How can you kill a little child? I hate that guy. You're the same. Jessica, not real names. You're the same. Are you following? In Romans, the fifth chapter, Paul now gives us the clearer emphasis. He says, therefore, verses one, being justified by faith, we have peace. With God through our Lord Jesus. Oh, are you seeing it? He says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Because the beginning of the way of peace is firstly having peace with God. Because the Bible says it's a dangerous thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. Now, he's telling the Christian who has received that justification, not the Christian who has been given. He's talking about the Christian who has received. Understand this. Not the Christian who has been given that faith or grace, but the Christian who has received. Are you following? That's why the Bible says, if sin and death reigned by one man, how much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the free gift, how much more they which receive, underline the word receive, receive it, receive it, receive it, receive it. What does it mean to receive it? To feel it in your consciousness, in your mind, head to toe, never to ever doubt that you are the righteousness of God regardless of what you do. And then there's this legal man saying, what? So does that mean if you steal, you are the righteousness of God? And I want to answer that man and tell him, unless you're preaching from another Bible. If you're preaching from the Bible I'm preaching from, righteousness is no longer because of works. Righteousness is through faith. And somebody says, Aren't you going to encourage people to sin? No. Why? Because if Jesus knew that this would make a man more sinful, he would not bring it. So he then invents his own idea of how to make men live righteous. But in doing that, he's actually gone against the way of God. The way of God. You see what I'm saying? God does not make us walk in his righteousness through threatening us. God makes us walk in his righteousness by firstly giving us the righteousness. 
by faith. That's why he says in Romans chapter 4, he's trying to explain. He gives us the example of Abraham, why God regarded Abraham a righteous man. So he asks, when we are talking about Abraham in Romans chapter 4, he says, what shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh? For if Abraham, listen, was justified by works, and these things are in their Bible. They are in their Bible. But you're talking of people who are so indifferent to the New Testament. Do you know there are Christians in the world who never learn or are preached or taught from the New Testament? If they're not going around Jericho, they are parting the Jordan Sea. If they're not parting the Jordan Sea, they're fighting with God until he blesses them like Jacob. They're always in those things. They're always in spiritual warfare. Fight, fight, kutula, break, rabadoga, zogodokoko. And he thinks that by speaking in tongues, he's aligned to the way. He doesn't know the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If they are not on the way to Jericho, they are on a woman with a bleeding issue. And they don't know also that is Old Testament because Jesus had not yet died. So I'm not saying that it's wrong to preach from the Old Testament. I preach from the Old Testament. Some people assume that I don't preach from the Old Testament, but I preach from the Old Testament. But when you see when Paul is preaching from the Old Testament, he's giving the light of it into the new. You see? He's giving the light of it into the new. He's helping us give a correlation, a juxtaposition between that old and the new to help us understand what happens in the old and how does it then become in the new. It's very important for us to reconcile that. Many Christians in the world are not able to reconcile that. That is why very few pastors can teach from the book of Romans. That let me teach you through Corinthians and let's go Corinthians journey. No, they are going around Jericho until the walls fall. You understand? Every Thursday, every Sunday, every weekend in the overnights, they're breaking walls. And some of them, they're not even walls. It's just flu. They don't know the power that breaks walls. You, you understand what I'm saying? If it's not so, they're on David and Goliath. And it's okay if you can bring that from the Old Testament and help a man understand its implication in the New Testament. But people are not able to understand that. There are people, they have sat in church for 20 years, but they have never had their pastor read Romans chapter 4. So he is asking, let's consider our father Abraham. What did he receive pertaining faith? He says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has where off to glory, but not before God. That means Abraham, our father of faith, was not justified through what? Through works. The Bible says he was justified through faith. He says, Abraham, the Bible says, believed God and it has counted unto him for righteousness. Now, let me ask you, common sense, how do you become righteous? Believing in God. Are you hearing me? Now, then he gets to how the works reconcile with. He says, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of death. That if you think that you're righteous by what you do, then the reward is not grace. It's not God's grace working in your life. It's your actions. That is why there are people who say, I fasted a lot and Jesus appeared. I prayed for 20 years and God appeared. And I want to tell you, there are people who prayed longer and they did not see God. Check, you'll find that for whatever you have done, there's a man who has done it more than you have, but they've not gotten what you received. That means that's grace. 
If you think you pray, there's a man who prayed longer and they didn't see God. If you think you fast, there's a man who fasted longer. And when you say that, they say, ah, he's against fasting. Listen, I fast longer than many people watching me. I am sure because I know how long I fast. Many people can't handle how we fast. They can't. So I'm not against fasting. Are you hearing me? But fasting is not what makes me righteous before God. I am righteous because I believe. So why do I fast? I fast to beat my body to subjection to the spirit man. That's why I fast. That my spirit man will be alert and awakened. Precise. In the things of God. Fervent in the spirit. That's why I fast. I don't fast to move God. I fast to move me from carnality to the spiritual man that I'll be able to preach the sermon that I have to preach to you, that I'll be able to impart and give God to you and give you an answer to the questions of your life. That's why I do it. Are you following me? Yes. So, back to what I'm trying to tell you. Then he speaks of circumcision, again in Romans chapter 4. How did God recon this righteousness on Abraham? He says, cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcised? Does this blessing of righteousness come on those who are doing good only or even those who are not yet there, who are still falling on the journey but believe? He says, for we say that faith was reconned to Abraham for righteousness. Verses 10. How was it recorded? He takes us back to Father Abraham to help us understand. How did Father Abraham receive his righteousness? And then he continues to say, was it in circumcision or in uncircumcision? How did Abraham receive righteousness? Was he first circumcised and then it was counted to him for righteousness? Or did he receive righteousness before he had obeyed all that God wanted? And the Bible says, not in circumcision, but in what? In uncircumcision. That means Abraham received righteousness before he was circumcised. Because he what? He believed. And the Bible says, and then he received circumcision later. That means the actions followed his faith as a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. That means we have to seal it. We have to have a seal of the gift of righteousness we've received through the actions that follow it. So don't think that the grace message tells you that the actions are useless. No. The actions are good because they seal the righteousness that you had. That's why the Bible says he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had yet been uncircumcised. That he might be the father of them all that believe, though they be not circumcised, they're not yet walking in the perfect will of God. But the Bible says the righteousness of God might be imputed upon all of them through faith. Back to Romans 5. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And because of that peace, ah, he says, by whom also we have access by faith 
into this grace wherein we stand. And as we stand, the Bible says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, you see, you see, you see, you see. You cannot talk about Christ in you, the hope of glory, because it's been about the rejoicing of the hope of glory. Remember the Bible says, and this is the mystery that was hid from the ages past and now revealed Christ in us, the hope of glory. We cannot rejoice with the Christ in us Oh, we cannot live the life of joy, the very joy that the Christ can give us when we have not understood the place of the grace given to us through this access of faith. He says, wherein we stand. That means in that realm we don't fall. We what? We stand. We stand. You understand what I'm saying? We what? We stand. So I understand why Isaiah says they have no understanding of these things. These things they don't understand. So somebody has lost peace because they don't understand the doctrine. And they acclaim it to a demonic spirit of a generational curse. And then they go for deliverance to rebuke a generational curse. And I'm thinking, this woman doesn't have a generational curse. She just has ignorance. Ignorance is disturbing her. And because there's destruction and disruption around her, she thinks, things are attacking me. Somebody has sent witchcraft on me. But when you look, you realize, no, these tests were there to check her. And I'm going to come to that a bit later. Let's continue. He says, by this we have access, uh, by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, and not only so, now listen to the peace God gave us, we glory in tribulations also. Hey! Somebody has not understood me. He said we glory in tribulations also. Even when things are not working our way, we still find ourselves what? Celebrating God. Knowing, hey, knowing that tribulation worketh what? Patience. Uh-huh. And patience worketh what? experience and experience hope verse 5 and that hope maketh not ashamed that means we know that in whatever trouble we are going through we will not get ashamed we'll come out of it shout glory to god yes so he says that hope maketh not ashamed we cannot be ashamed Yes, you are diagnosed with a disease and you're stigmatized. And people have looked at your face and it looks funny. But God says this is not going to be the end of it. You'll come out and you'll not be ashamed. That right there, that is where our peace begins. Our peace does not begin when war is absent. Our peace comes even when we're in the midst of the storm. Because we know this is working patience, it's giving us certain experiences. These experiences are working a sort of hope. And when that hope comes, I'll not be ashamed. Let them laugh. But it's only for a while. So you go to bed in the midst of the storm knowing that something will come out of this trouble. That is the peace Jesus brought. The one that does not leave you because of a storm. The one that does not leave you because you're tried. 
the one that does not leave you because you got a bad report from a doctor the one that does not leave you because you have a marital issue the one that does not leave you because your boy is on drugs the one that does not leave you because you are fired from a job the one that does not leave you because your eyes cannot see the one that does not leave you because the landlord knocked your door and said I want my money the one that does not leave you because you have a debt and the guy wants his money the one that does not leave you because you lost your house the one that does not leave you because they left you on the altar and chucked you that peace that passes all understanding that when you're not supposed to be peaceful you still have peace and people say how does she leave oh that is the peace Jesus gave the world can't give you that the world will think that you're in trouble so that's why Paul says sometimes we look like we are hard pressed we can be hard pressed and even though we're pressed we're not destroyed you can be crushed down and you look like things are off and people say mm, this one is gone he says we can be troubled on every side but we are not distressed why we have a peace of god we can be confused sometimes perplexed but we are not in despair somebody shout hallelujah we can be persecuted but even when we are persecuted there's a peace in us telling us we are not forsaken we can be cast down pressed down but we know that we are not destroyed we are always bearing in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also might be what made manifest you see you see the end of it the death you're carrying is for life the pain you're carrying is for joy the trouble you're carrying is for peace and victory every test you're going through oh now if you have understood that then you understand what Jesus gave you that is why he can be at the cross poor 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 and then he says forgive them they don't know what they're doing he's not where they are he's not where they are he's not where they are they're looking at him and they're thinking that the story of God is dead the end of Jesus is here but he's looking to heaven and he's saying hmm I'm bringing many sons to glory that is the story of Christianity that is the gospel you believed there is nothing you're going through that is not working for your good But it began with the righteousness. If you can't understand the rightness you have with God, you can't understand this. How deep? You can't understand this. Because when we get peace with God first, then we're not intimidated with the trouble in the world because we have peace with God first. Because you see, you can have it all peaceful in the world, but you have trouble with God. That's dangerous. But here he spoke of the peace that we have with God. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is why the Bible says in Romans 14 verses 17, that now the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. You know what that means? You don't define the kingdom of God because now you eat chicken. When you got born again, you eat chicken. You know, there are people who say, eh, I used to sleep hungry. Now I eat chicken. But say, hallelujah. That's not the kingdom of God. Now I drive a car. 
Me? Who used to walk? They even cry. That's not the kingdom of God. Why? Because there's an unbeliever driving that car. There's an unbeliever putting on those clothes. There's an unbeliever living a higher life. So he says the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink. But listen, it is in righteousness. What comes first? What comes first? What comes first? You see that? So people just say it and sing it, but they don't understand the meaning. But this is the kingdom of God. It's righteousness, comma, and peace, comma, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You see what I'm saying? Joy in the Holy Ghost. So, can you have true joy in the Holy Ghost without peace? And can you have peace without righteousness? You cannot. Somebody say, I'm happy, but they're under the law. And I'm like, mm, they don't get it. <laughs> they're not happy. They think they are, but they're not. It's just human excitement. It's just momentary. It's the peace of the world. When you understand this peace, regardless of what you go through, a man will never tell you how you are and you say, hmm, I'm not fine. You'll never say it. Because your fineness is not best on present circumstance. You'll never say things are not going on well because things don't respond according to your present circumstances. The place of your victory, your joy, your power, the graces that work on your life, they're all entirely in what Christ has done, regardless of what I see outside. When you get to that point, you can be at the worst place in human terms, yet be at the most peaceful place in godly terms. That's the peace Jesus came to give us. As the Bible says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. So now you understand why, when I was reading earlier in Romans 5, you understand why by this grace, he said, we stand and rejoice in the hope. You understand now why we rejoice in the hope. Because righteousness is here and peace is with us. That's true joy. And I tell you, many Christians are not living here. They have a very worldly definition of peace. Very worldly definition of peace. Very worldly definition of peace. I want to finish this way. Whatever I've labored in this whole hour also to speak was to get you to the place of understanding when Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And because the peace you receive is from me, he says, let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid of anything regardless of the circumstances. If you ever get to a point where regardless of what is happening, your heart is not troubled, regardless of what has been given to you at the hospital, regardless of what is happening in your house, you are not afraid. Then Jesus says, this is the peace I came to give. This one. 
Somebody just raise your hands and receive that peace. Just receive it. 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 There's song that goes. You were Jaira. You were enough. You were Jaira. You were enough. And I will be content in every circumstance. You were Jaira. You are in the come on, let's sing. Jaira, you were in the you were Jaira, you were in the and I will be content in every circumstance. You were Jaira. You were in the come on, let's sing it. Jaira, you were in the Koshalabadi. Jaira, you were in the and I will be content in every circumstance. You were Jaira. Come on, let's sing it. You were Jaira. You were enough. Sing Jaira. You were enough. And I will be content in every circumstance. You were Jaira. See you one more time. Jaira, Jaira, you were enough. Jaira, you were enough. And I will be content in every circumstance. You were Jaira. In every circumstance, you were done. You were enough. And I will be content. In every circumstance, you were done. You were enough. Somebody say, Father. I receive the peace that Jesus gave me. Say from today, I walk in the peace that Christ gave me. Not as the world can give. I refuse to define peace as the world defines it. 
I choose to define peace according to what Jesus gave me because the chastisement of my peace was upon him he was chastised for my peace I receive that peace today I refuse my heart to be troubled under any circumstance say I refuse to fear under any circumstance I choose to believe God regardless of what I'm going through and I know that I will not be ashamed I have the righteousness of God as a gift through faith I have the peace of God as a gift through faith and I live in the joy of the Holy Spirit because it has to be so and not otherwise amen give him a mighty hand of praise come on come on Woo! glory if you have never given your life to Christ I want you to repeat this as after me because you see this cannot make sense to you unless you surrender your life to the peace giver the way maker the destiny changer the life giver Jesus Christ he died for you that you might have peace he was chastised for your peace so repeat this was after me say Lord Jesus I thank you because you shed your blood for my sins and was raised for my glory say tonight I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest. Thank you.